Welcome to the Discovery Doc Podcast, where we advocate for optimal wellness and reducing everyday toxic loads, no matter where life takes you. I'm Dr. Cece, doctor in nursing practice, self-proclaimed toxin tamer, and a crunchy mama. I'm Anna Kate, a medical mystery overachiever and your discovery liaison. Join us on this exciting journey as we explore the world of holistic health, cutting edge research, and practical solutions for a healthier life. Together, we'll navigate through the complexities of wellness, sharing valuable insights, and expert advice. Tune in to the Discovery Doc Podcast. Get ready to be inspired, empowered, and discover a whole new way of looking at your health. Parental advisory recommended. This podcast episode dives into sensitive topics that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is strongly advised. The discussions include explicit language and address themes such as childhood trauma, abuse, and other challenging experiences. The content involves personal narratives related to parenting adopted children who have faced trauma. This episode contains adult-oriented language and graphic depictions of difficult themes. The conversations may be distressing for some listeners, particularly those who have experienced childhood trauma or abuse. It is crucial to prioritize your mental well-being, and if you find the content triggering or overwhelming, consider seeking support from a mental health professional. Please be aware that this episode is not appropriate for young audiences. Listener discretion is advised, and parental guidance is strongly recommended. It is essential to recognize your own emotional boundaries and refrain from listening if you believe the content may negatively impact your mental health. Remember, your well-being is paramount, and reaching out for support is a sign of strength. If you are struggling, consider taking a mental health, talking to a mental health professional who can provide assistance and guidance. Welcome back to the Discovery Doc Podcast. I'm here with your host, Dr. Cece, functional medicine nurse practitioner, self-proclaimed toxin tamer, and a crunchy mama, and my co-host. I'm Anna Kate, your medical mystery overachiever and discovery liaison, and in this set of episodes, we're all talking about mental health. And our guest today, I'll let you introduce her in a second, but she has got some of the toughest mental health doing what she does, mm -hmm. creating the things that she's created and being a mom and running her farm out of her backyard. So we'll in hear more in Florida. We'll hear more about, we'll hear more about that. But will you introduce uh, yes. this lovely face to us? Gosh, you're the only person that's made me nervous. This is so weird because this is a friend. Like she, I just, I love her so much. This is Kayla, Kayla Harrison. She is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. Like what? Are you, did you do no, that? No, no. I, I haven't done that either. Also, also, MMA world champion, which have you done that either? No, no okay, me either. That's nope. not something I've done. Um, and a mama of two. And we are just so excited to have you on here. Thank you so much. I love you and appreciate you. But we are you kidding me? I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with this podcast. I'm obsessed with you. You didn't even have to ask. I would have just been like, yes, when, where, now, can I come over? Like, can I fly <laughs> can in I for the podcast? Like, oh, okay. I wish. I know it's yeah. so funny because I don't like asking. Like, I always feel like I'm asking friends for a favor, like to do something. And so it was really hard for me to ask you, actually, because I was like, I don't want her to, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. Like, it's a weird thing. You but have really cool friends. No. I know. Well, I know. <laughs> but anyways, to be fair, I, she's a really cool friend. She is. Is really cool friend. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I know you, but our community doesn't know you. Anna Kate doesn't know you. And so I just want to talk about you and getting to know so our community can get to know you and kind of 
what has led you to life where you're at today? Where are you from? What what was your childhood like? What kind of impacted you yeah. as a kiddo that's led you to to where you are? Yeah. Um well, I started, so I grew up in Middletown, Ohio. Um, oh my God, my birds. She has parakeets, apparently, it's <laughs> along fine. with you, Moose. Well, welcome to life. They decided to come be a part. They have something to say. Um, guys, <laughs> go away. <laughs> welcome to the Discovery Doc podcast, where right. real life happens right in front of your eyes and to your listening ears. <laughs> Okay, so I grew up in Middletown, Ohio. Um, it's a pretty small town um, in between Cincinnati and Dayton. And I had a pretty, you know, I would say average, well, I had a, I think in America, everyone goes through trauma, right? Whether you yeah. realize it or not, childhood trauma affects all of us um, in one way or another as we get older. And... For me, um, I'll just jump right into the yeah, to the good go. stuff. Um, so my my parents got divorced when I was like three months old. My father was an alcoholic um, and abusive. My mother remarried. I have two younger half siblings, um, and you know, right there, that's kind of where the trauma begins. I think like before in in womb, to be honest. Yeah. And then when I was six years old, to kind of get fast forward and to get to where I am today, when I was six years old, I started judo. Um, my mom took judo in college as like a self-defense class. And the story goes that I was watching TV and I saw a karate commercial or something. And then I like was running around the house trying to break shit and like... <laughs> I was just kind of out. Of, I was like a little tomboy, but I was like also had a ton of energy. And um, so, yeah, so she I said that I wanted to be a ninja, basically. And she knew how good judo was for the self-defense aspect, discipline, you know, confidence. Mm -hmm. And so she took me to the local dojo mm -hmm. and I started and that was it. I fell in love with it. You know, um, the first time I stepped on the mat, I was hooked. I had done like dance and t-ball and stuff like that before. But by the time I was eight years old, I was like a one sport kid. Like I only did judo. I mm. trained – by the time I was eight, I was training every day um, wow. like during the week. And then by the time I was 12, I was training twice a day. Um, by the time I was 14, I made the Olympic trials. And when I was 16 – um, I told my mom finally, um, after, from the ages of eight to 16, that my judo coach had been sexually abusing me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it's funny to look back now as a mother and as like a, a an older woman, 33 years yeah. old, that like, I always thought that it kind of started there, like, oh, it started because I was sexually abused. But really, it started because I had an absent father. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we come into this world, we seek, you know, th those are our higher powers. Like, if you, when you're a child and your parents are, or your caretakers are neglectful or abandon you mm -hmm. or abuse you or 
whatever. If you're not seen, soothed, and secure, um, kids need their parents in order to survive. So they don't think there's something wrong with the adult. They internalize it and think there's something wrong with them. Right. And that kind of just set me up to be, you know, a predator's perfect victim. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like overachiever. I was a perfectionist. I thought you had to earn love. I was like Mm. straight A student, center of attention, always like always out there trying to to earn love. And that set me up to to be sexually abused. Um, So yeah. So then when I was 16, I told my mom um, because I was at that point where I was, I was gonna, you know, run away kill myself Mm. or say something and I'm really grateful that you know I chose to say something absolutely but yeah yeah I've I've so that's kind of many questions within there because one is like from I think that a not present father figure can look very different for some people it means that Mm -hmm. that person is literally not there For other people, like Mm -hmm. for me, it was my dad was there and present, but not. It would have been the same without him as it was with him in the home. And I didn't know when I was a kid what that would do to me later in terms of – so for me, Mm -hmm. it was always like the relationship I was in with with a guy – I was over loyal. Like these dudes would cheat on me 110 times and I would stay and stay and stay. And it wasn't until really I met Will and like him and I obviously went, went through things at the beginning of our relationship too, but it wasn't until I was with him that I was like, whoa, like this stems from Mm -hmm. my mistrust in mm-hmm. my dad even though he was present he wasn't I can't tell you one thing I learned from that man I can't tell mm. you you know there's like certain memories where I'm like he was the fun dad like he'd take us out to ice cream he would you know we were in karate and he let us skip karate behind my mom's back and go take us to do something fun like there's those mm-hmm. memories but not core innate like you taught me these just life mm-hmm. skills where then it reflected in my yeah. relationships. So I think that's important where it's so many people struggle with that, but it can look very different. You can have a dad in the house and not have a dad in the house. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's why I think – that's why I say, right, like in order to be – in order to have a healthy functioning child, that child needs to be safe, seen, soothed, and secure. So you can be safe, you can be secure, and maybe your mom is soothing, but – if if you're not um what did i say safe seen if you're not seen by your father you know if he's present but he's neglectful in that area like that's going to create it's going to create a pathway in your brain and later in yeah. your life where you are constantly seeking out that validation and and you re, you i repeated that story of the story of my father t- for a long time into my adulthood, you know, like I, I was the same. I had terrible relationships, like Mm -hmm. stayed beyond anything that was ever, you know, just like did not love. I did not love myself because I thought you had to earn love. 
And it wasn't until I really started doing deep work, like, and healing my inner child and, um, you know, sitting with my feelings, like being uncomfortable, get being okay with being alone, that I started to, to have self-worth and to love myself and to, and it's crazy because like when I was 16 and I wanted to kill myself and, you know, I, I basically my mom, you know, she, she pressed charges. The FBI got involved. Mm -hmm. My coach and abuser served 10 years in federal prison and she was left with this 16 year old car wreck. You know, she was left with this girl who couldn't get out of bed. So I moved to Boston a month after I told what was happening. I was with new coaches. I was living in an athlete house. I was by myself again. I was, you know, not not doing good, suffering from PTSD, like an extreme, an extreme case of PTSD. And then like I go on and I get help and I start a foundation and I write a book and I win two gold medals and I'm like, that was my rock bottom. Like I did it, you know, like I overcame it. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized like healing is a never ending journey. Like, you know, just like, okay, check that off the list. Like I did it, you know, yeah, it's this thing that requires, in my opinion, you know, healing and, and Mm -hmm. growing and, um, like deepening your, your, feeding your soul is a, is a discipline the same way that I'm disciplined in fighting and, or I was in judo or I am as a parent, like it requires discipline. And I have to teach myself that because I didn't learn it as a child. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes like you've had, and this can go for anybody, but you're a great example because I think sometimes when we have these huge achievements and they're so immaculate and they're so rewarding, and especially when it's publicly rewarded, that yes, we feel so good about that, but I think it can often mask then what we haven't dove into within ourselves. And we just keep on that high of, you know, that recognition and attention. And, you Mm. know, I watched my husband go through that for sure. And there's only so long you can ride that until Mm -hmm. internally you crash, you know, but one thing I, I wanted to ask too is, um, going back, like looking back now where judo for you at age six, seven, eight, I mean, you were an elite athlete by eight years old. Right. And there, I, I go, there's two parts to this because like right now, Ava is seven and she is on a, the USA gymnastics team and she's training almost 15 hours a week at 17 years old or seven years old. And not 17 yet. God, slow down. Yes. Um, not ready. And as a parent, part of me is like, whoa, is this too much? Like, am I going to burn my kid out? But she loved Mm. it so much. So twofold. Number one is looking back when you were that young, do you feel like you truly loved it and loved being there and that's why you kept going and going or was it a scapegoat? I mean, knowing what I know now, I can firmly say that that was my that was my external validation. You know, that was where I got my, my self-worth was like, oh, I'm really, really good at this and and it's special and it makes me special. So I'm going to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no idea, like, yeah. And you don't know as a kid, right? Like you don't realize that 
you feel a certain and I'm not saying by any means that that's the case there are probably so many you know of these superb high achievers who come from healthy loving beautiful families that just have the confidence and they have the fire in them and this is what they chose to to do so I'm not saying that by any means but I do think for me it was my thing where I was like oh this makes me more lovable. Mm. And I just happen to be this really makes good me at worth it. something to somebody. Yeah. That is And I yes, and I'm really good at it. And the more gold medals I win, the more my mom pays attention to me, the more, mm. you know, my coach pays attention to me. Like that's that's what it was for me. Yeah. How was it And that's why I get nervous parents because I'm like that's why I tell my kids I don't say I'm proud of you. I say you should be so proud mm-hmm. of yourself. Yes. Because I don't ever want them to be reaching for my validation. I want them to internally grow and know that like I should feel proud of me mm-hmm. when I do something. I don't need my mom to be like I am proud of them, but I say, "Oh my gosh, that was so great. Like look at that. That's beautiful. You should be so proud of yourself." And it's such a small thing, but I don't ever remember anyone saying to me, you should be proud of yourself. You know, like I remember people being like, I'm so proud of you. Great job. Like keep working hard. You you know, you did it. Like no one ever said like, oh, you did. And, and I mean, it's hard when they're kids, but I try to be very um, aware of like them growing as a, as a human and, Mm -hmm not putting focus on external rewards. Like I took my kids, I took my kids out of regular school because it was like my daughter was getting to the point where like if she got a bad grade and she obviously has a lot of trauma. For those of you that don't know, I adopted my kids. Um, So she obviously already has a lot of, of trauma and stuff that I'm trying to help rewrite. But she would say like, I'm worthless or Oh, I'm, you know, she, she would say I'm worthless because she got a bad grade. And I was like, oh, hell no. Like we are, that is, you are, you are a lovable, beautiful child of God with inherent worth and value, you know? And like, it's so important to me that she knows that. Like I tell her every day, I love you no matter what Mm -hmm. you are loved. You are loved just the way you are. If you never if you never play soccer again, if you never draw another picture again, if you never get a good grade again, if you know, and it's like, you know, sometimes she looks at me, she's like, I know mom, like, <laughs> shut up. But sometimes, you know, that they need that. They need to know like, oh yeah, like someone loves me no matter what. Yeah. Did you hear those words growing up? Did you hear I love you? I did. Yeah, I did. You know, my it wasn't like I grew up like in a, I wasn't like in a meth house or something. Like I was, it wasn't like this, this like super toxic, traumatic. Like my grandparents. You know, I I look back and I think of both sets of my grandparents. Like my whole family lived within five minutes of each other, um, and my grandparents were such a source of um, strength and love and guidance for me my mom you know and this is also the thing that I finally realize 
now that I'm a, a mother is like, everybody is doing the best that they can. Yeah. I truly believe that. Like, I don't, I don't hate my father. I don't have ill will towards him. I don't like, hold, like, he obviously also had trauma and he was doing the best mm-hmm. he could and he coped with it how he had to cope with it. And like, he did the best he could. My mom was 21 when she had me, you know, she was a, she was a fucking kid. Like she did the best she could. She made the best decisions she, she could make at that time. And so it's all part of the journey. Like I also had to release that. Like I had to let go of this, like it's their fault and they fucked me up and look at my life. And like, because it's at the end of the day, like, yes, terrible things happen to me and terrible things happen all over the world. Bad things yeah. happen. It's, it's part of life. And I'm an adult now and I'm safe. I'm loved. I'm secure. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. And I make the decisions for my life. Yeah. I choose who I am, how I am, what I put out into this world. Like it's my choice. So once I took that power back, I guess, so to speak, the whole game changed. Like my life became much more, more peaceful and um, much more aligned with who I wanted to be yeah. as a human. That It's so hard because uh, to transition into that because I spent the majority of like 18 to 24 years old, I spent blaming my dad. Mm-hmm. And blame honestly blaming them both mm. because there was like and I was asking that question because growing up I didn't hear mm-hmm. I didn't hear that I had both parents in a house like we it was I whatever we grew up very comfortably but those words I never heard I love you I'm proud of you it just wasn't mm-hmm. a thing I also had a sister who mm-hmm. was like all the mm-hmm. attention was kind of on in a negative way because she was going through a lot of her own just struggles and demons but mm-hmm. I didn't. I spent so many years blaming my parents that it truly takes a lot of inner work to then come out the other side and be like, whoa, like, yes, that was my experience, but that doesn't mean I need to live via that experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and it Mm -hmm. just, it takes a lot of hard work, but going back, how did you adjust then? Like when you moved from Ohio to Massachusetts, so close to such an intense event in your life. How did you adjust? And I know, you know, Big Jim played a big role eventually. I don't know if it was then or or later on, but how did you adjust through that, girl? Because yeah. that's tough. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is where I feel like um, a spiritual element really comes into place. And this is where I feel like God, you know, had his hand in my life. Um, I ended up on the Pedros, Jimmy and his father, Big Jim. I ended up on their doorstep and I thank God every day for that. Like I could have ended up in another abuser's hand. I could have ended up in, you know, I could have ended up doing drugs. I could have been like, there were so many, I was so raw and so broken and so, um, just like, I was also, I thought like, I thought I was to blame. I thought it took two. I was so brainwashed Mm -hmm. and groomed into believing that like I was the problem. And I thank God every day for the Pedros because not only did they change my life, but they saved my life. You know, they, um, they became my family and they became the people who, 
I learned to trust and I learned um, to believe in. They believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And, and I mean, it's hard because at first I thought it was all based on, again, my accomplishments. Like they want me to be better because they want me to win a gold medal or they want me to be this athlete. And it took years for me to realize that like, if I never won anything ever again, Big Jim wouldn't care. Yeah. Like he doesn't give a shit. There's, there are so many successful people who he's been a part of their life and he's not a part of their life because they're not good people. He cared about me because of who I was. And that, that, that saved my life. Like if I had ended up on anybody else's doorstep, I would not be the person that I am today. I would not have the success story that I have today. And I, I mean, I mean it like it's hard for, I don't want to like, I get emotional when I think about it because I was a, I was a fucking mess. Like I didn't get out of bed. I didn't brush my hair. I didn't brush my teeth. I didn't like, I couldn't function. I was calling my abuser. Like he was uh, out on, on bail. And I was, I, I bought a burner phone and I was calling my abuser and I was making plans to run away. And I was like, I was a mess and, and they saved me slowly. And, um, they never gave up on me, you know, no matter how bad I fucked up, no matter what, what decisions I made, no matter, no matter if I won or lost, they never gave up on me. And that's, you know, I, I do a lot of like public speaking and um, I share my story quite frequently. And everyone always thinks that there's like a secret formula to success or whatever. I don't even, I don't even talk about that anymore. But what I do tell people is like, you have to surround yourself with people who believe you believe in you even when you don't believe in yourself like that mm -hmm. tribe like we heal in relationships we heal by fixing what we didn't have you know yeah. we we rewrite the story and you have to have that around you you heal in relationships that's what human we're we're created for connection mm -hmm. um so that's yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm very, I'm very blessed, you know. I think that grace and God and, um, and the Pedros. Yeah, absolutely. And not, I, I, that is amazing because you're absolutely right. Not everybody has that resource at the right time, right? Some people might get it, but it might be way farther down the line where there's so much that then you have to go back and reverse and or or heal from. But God's timing is perfect. And so I'm also a firm believer that people go through things, right? And it doesn't trauma is trauma. And it doesn't matter the the scale of the trauma because it's all subjective to mm -hmm. us and how we perceive it and how it impacts us. But I do believe that we are put through that for a reason and it can be very hard to identify what that reason is in the time i think both anna kate and i relate on the fact that like i was chronically ill for a very long time and that was really hard in my mid-20s and it's a different form of ptsd but it's still ptsd and emotionally working through mm -hmm. that and knowing why i did it is such a blessing mm -hmm. that the other side of the blessing is knowing why i went through that 
And for me, that's to be able to practice how I do and help people how I do. But for you, it's to possibly utilize the platform that you have built over your life to then protect other girls and other women. And yeah, you know, no, for sure. I think that, no, this is like, this is such a big concept that again, like these small shifts in, in mindset really changed my life where it went from, you know, being a victim to making a choice. Like I'm going to use this and I'm going to make the world better because of it. And I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And I do believe that I went through what I went through for a reason. And I think more than, I think back when I was younger, the goal was always like, I used it again to try and help others. Like, okay, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to start a foundation. I'm going to, I'm going to give speeches. I'm going to talk and mentor young abuse survivors. I'm going to change the world. And now I can look back and realize that like, no, this was all part of my journey. Like this was all to help me become who I'm supposed to be. And as a result of that, I also get to change the world. But first I change internally. First I um, wake up, you know, I call it like waking up, kind of like becoming aware. Like I, I lived so much of my life in this state of like reaction and Mm -hmm. stress and coming from a trauma response versus from my soul, you know, coming from a place of light. And I, like I, I won two gold medals in judo and I had a panic attack and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? Like I had, I suffered like post-Olympic depression and was like, I have to have a purpose. I have to have a goal. I have to have something. And then I started MMA like, and it was all very fear driven. You know, it was this fear of not being enough. And like, I have to go do more. I have to go succeed. I have to go change the world. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And now that I'm older and again, like have suffered more rock bottoms and more um, heartache where it got to the place where I really had to look and say like, is this how you, is this how you want your life to be? Yeah. Do you want to continuously operate from this place of pain and fear and anxiety? Or do you want to sit down and buckle up and work on yourself and like, maybe find some fucking peace, you know? Yeah. Like, and when I, when I did that, everything changed. Like I still love MMA. Like I still love to fight. I still feel I have this burning desire in my heart to, to challenge myself and to see how good I can mm-hmm. get and to, to reach new heights and to be the best mother I can be and, and be present with my children. But like when I got my kids, when I became a mom overnight, like, I was operating from a place of fear. Like Mm -hmm. I was operating from like, don't fuck them up worse. Like Mm -hmm. be the best, be the best mom on the planet. Like they're going to eat all their vegetables and they're going to have perfect lives and they're going to be this and that, and you're going to be, you're going to coach soccer and you're going to do that. And you're going to like, and it was just another thing that I was operating fear-based. And finally, finally, God, was like, hey, aren't you tired? Like, aren't you tired of being like mm. this? And I was like, oh my God, I am really tired of being like this. Like, I don't want to live like this anymore. Yeah. And I and I 
am grateful. I'm so grateful for my story because if I hadn't have had those hurdles, if I hadn't had those obstacles, if I hadn't have been abused, if I hadn't become a mom overnight, if I hadn't lost my fight, if I hadn't had an abusive relationship, I wouldn't have ever gotten to the place of peace that I'm at now where mm -hmm. I can say like, I'm okay no matter what. Like mm. I'm loved no matter what. Like I have a peace that can't be fucked with. Like I, yeah. I, and and I get to I get to be a mom. I get to go to training every day. I get to wake up and take care of these this zoo that I have. Like <laughs> it's like it, it it's a, I have this beautiful life and I wait not wasted, but I spent so much of it like being afraid and being like feeling unworthy yeah and now I don't feel like that anymore now I feel whole and happy and loved and I have like amazing friends and I have a great relationship with my mom and I'm I'm working on myself every day in a way that brings me closer to God and I think brings me closer to who I who I am meant to be you know? right Absolutely. There's, there's going off on tangents. No, it, there's no, so much in there because like <laughs> as a wife of a fighter or retired fighter, who knows? Like I see, I see so much of this. I yeah. think like the, the fighting world, the MMA world is so different than any other sport and the intensity that comes behind it. But my husband would say the same things. Like at the peak of his career, he was fighting out of fear. It wasn't a that that's just that he will tell you that till he's blue in the face. He was fighting out of fear. And when that fear subsided and this happened when like after we got married, after we had Ava, he went on like a little stint where he lost a couple fights in the UFC and he had never lost before in his life. But what he was struggling with then was he had gotten to where he wanted to in life. All he wanted to have in life was peace and a wife and a home and children. Mm -hmm. And he had obtained that. Mm -hmm. And so his motivation for the actual sport dwindled. The talent can be there all that you want, but if there's like his motivation changed, he was no longer fighting out of fear. And that was reflecting in mm -hmm. his performances. And, you know, then there's so much after that that occurred, but for you, looking back in your transition from judo to MMA, did you do that strictly out of the I must keep going? What's next? Like I made I had these goals and now I've achieved them and I got to keep going. And then when did that start to shift? A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I literally. So no American had ever won a gold medal in judo. I was the first. Um and then in 2013, right after I won my first Olympics, I had to have major reconstructive surgery on my knee. And so it was like this other thing I had to overcome, which was perfect because that's how I operated. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, you know, one thing to the next to the next. And then I won again. And I literally like it sh should have been the best day of my life. And it was. But I that night, like I remember after I got drug tested and did the press conference and went to the you know, through all the interviews, I'm laying in bed with my boyfriend at the time. And I woke up pouring sweat, like having the biggest anxiety attack of my life. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, who am I if I'm not yeah. Kayla Harrison Olympic champion? Like, what am I? Who, who am I? What do I do? 
And he was like, and again, he came, you know, he was a great guy, comes from a super, you know, amazing family. He was like, Kayla, like, you're okay. It's okay. Like, you've done enough, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I hadn't done enough in my mind. Like, I sat on the couch for a couple months and like, literally, you talk about couch potato, like, I went from, you know, never pressing snooze on my alarm to not even setting an alarm. Like I had never, I didn't watch TV and I all of a sudden had watched every single show on Netflix. Like I was depressed. I was like, what the, what am I going to do? I started writing my book. Like I was like obsessively writing my book. Um, I was speaking. I would go to every single speaking engagement. I didn't say no. If it was a Girl Scout group or if it was you know, a fortune 500 company. I didn't say no. I just made myself so busy, so busy, so busy that I didn't have to deal with this, like, what's next crisis. Oh yeah. And then I, you know, I found MMA. I had always kind of been on my radar, but like, you know, I did not think that it was for me. Like it was a very, um, it's an entertainment, you know, it's not a sport, it's an entertainment. And, um, I came from such an Olympic ideals background and the Pedros are such good people. And like, there's no money involved in judo and like, it's, you know, it's just purely because you love it. And, but I, I went to a, I, I think I started going to a gym in Boston. I took like a striking class. I hit pads and just to move my body because I was like beyond depressed and I really loved it and I felt good doing it. Mm-hmm. And then like a month later, I went to my first sparring session and I was, I told the Patriots, I was like, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to fight. And my manager got me a really great contract. And, um, in 2017, yeah. So in 2017, I ended up breaking up with my, I was also like, life, right? Like I thought I was going to marry this guy. He was the love of my life. Not turns out not so much going through all this stuff. I, I come, I start training at other gyms. I, I check out American top team a month after I check out American top team. I move my entire life down to Florida. I meet another guy. I, I hook up with him right away. Like I couldn't be alone and I couldn't not have a goal. I had to have both of those things in order to be enough, in order to be uh, worthy yeah. in my own eyes. Like, so I got a guy and I, and I got a job and I started training and um, life got really, really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and um again, I thank God, you know, I thank God. Like I was winning. I was doing great. I was undefeated. I won a million dollars and then I won it again. And I got out of an abusive relationship and then I found another guy and like that guy ended up being not great. And like, just, it just, the fucking same story kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. And then I would go back to the abusive guy and I couldn't like, I couldn't get away from him. And, and like everything just was this like, cycle and I was trapped in this cycle of, but like still doing good to the outside world and being right. successful and like m- making money and running a foundation like doing all these things that were like oh look at her she's got her shit together and internally I was dying I was dying and again I thank God like he sent me two kids 
he literally was like, hey, if you're not going to like change for yourself, what about these two? Are you going to put them through this? Are you going to are you going to make their lives living hell? Are you going to allow them to to think that this is love? Because you obviously can't love yourself enough to get the fuck out of these situations. But what about these two kids? Do you love them enough? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, and I do. I do love them enough to mm-hmm. not show them that that is love and to not continue the generational trauma in our family. Mm-hmm. And like, so yeah, it's that so changed wild. my life. They ch- saved me just as much as I saved them. And, and I lost, I lost a fight and I had to really like, oh my God, like, who am I? Mm-hmm. And getting my kids and losing my fight and coming home and them not giving a shit yes. about whether I won or I lost, like them just being so glad that mom is home. Um, you know, it made me realize like, oh, like maybe I am lovable no matter what. Like maybe I am worth something without all of the bullshit, you know, like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe just being their mom, like maybe just loving them. That's enough. Like, yeah. and it changed my, it changed my whole life. Like it, it did. That I'm hits, so grateful to- that hits so hard because I think like, do you remember sitting in my kitchen right before you moved? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you have, so Kayla came down. I think she was just like visiting and big Jim was there and Mm-hmm. Um, we sat in my kitchen and I was convincing her to move down because like American mm-hmm. top team and for all of you who don't know, but American top team in the world of MMA is like a prime gym. Like it's the top of the mm-hmm. top. If you want to be the best, you have to go there. And for us, Will was training in Illinois and then he fought for dream like this huge on new year's Eve and like his career exploded and like two, and then he stayed training where he was and he lost his first fight like very early in his career and he's like I'm done I'm leaving I'm going to Florida like you can come with me or not but I'm going um that's the type of place that it is and I remember sitting there and convincing Kayla that if she wanted to be the best like hey come surround yourself with the best and come be down here and then we ended up moving like literally not even six months later but (laughs) it's because it's because our she left I did. I love you. But it's because what Will was going through in his career is very similar to what sounds like you more recently went through in your career. And he, for him and his mental Mm -hmm. health being surrounded by only fighting in Florida when he was struggling with his desire, his just want and desire and his reasoning behind fighting, it wasn't healthy for him mentally And he was starting to understand Mm -hmm. that like fighting is a job and he's not an entertainer. You know, he, he's at his core. Mm -hmm. He is just a true wrestler. Like he's going to go in there, do his job and go home to his family and the world of MMA changed and they don't like that. And that's not him. And so when he started to realize like, Hey, I'm fulfilled with my children and my wife and my home and my family I don't really want to be, I don't know if I want to be in this anymore. That's where we were when you moved down. And it's taken years after that to finally for him to get to that sense of peace of like, 
what whatever fighting is fighting it is what mm-hmm. it is like competitive nature he wants to compete he wants to win he wants to thrive but us as a unit is undestructible and so much more important than anything mm-hmm. fighting could ever have given him mm-hmm. so i understand that from a spouse's yeah. view but it's it's so interesting so yeah. one thing i do want to shed light on is can you for our community can you go into your foundation can you talk a little bit about what it is how they can help how they can get involved anything like that yeah so i started um after so basically um right before 20 i had never really talked about being sexually abused i just kind of was like all right we're gonna get over it we're gonna you know and right before the 2012 olympics um, this reporter came to do a piece on me. I was, you know, one of the hopefuls to win America's first gold medal. And she, she interviewed Jimmy before. And I guess he says something like, you know, this girl has been through a lot to get to where she is right now. And like, she is mentally, you know, as strong as they come, whatever. And so the reporter asked me, you know, Jimmy alluded to the fact that you've been through a lot. Do you want to share that? And I'll never forget the night before that I had gotten in a fight with my best friend um, because she posted about like Joe Paterno. I, do you guys remember the oh, yeah. um, Sandusky scandal at Penn State with all those boys who were abused? Yeah. So anyways, my be- I got in a fight with my best friend because she was like pissed off that Joe Paterno lost his job. And I looked on the news and there were these riots and kids were flipping over cars and setting them on fire and – Like these were my peers and I couldn't believe that I lived in a world where there were people who were rioting about a football coach losing his job, but no one was rioting about the countless victims whose lives had been completely destroyed by this man. Mm. And I realized that it's because we don't talk about it. It's because it doesn't have a face. It's because people think, oh, that happens in Boy Scouts, but that doesn't happen to me. Or, oh, that happens in um, lower income families, but that doesn't happen to my kids. Or, oh, that happens in the Catholic church, but I'm not Catholic. And so when she asked me that question, I said, yeah, I do want to talk about it. And I started sharing my story and I didn't shut up. (laughs) And (laughs) I very rarely shut up. But after that, you know, like I won a judo gold medal. And of course you get invited to like some parties and like whatever. But my phone was ringing off the hook oh, you know, my daughter went through something. Um, can you come speak to her class? Or, oh, we run the Rape Crisis Center in Kansas City. Can you come speak to our at our gala? Or like all of these groups. And what I realized is that there is a huge amount of um, desire to change because one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused or assaulted by the time they're 18. And that's just the kids who say something. So the chances are it's probably much, much higher. And there's this huge kind of like grassroots, regional, local movement where like everybody, there are people who want to help. But there is no like Live Strong. There is no Susan G. Komen. There is no big organization where you can say, okay, I want to donate my time, my money, and my effort into ending this epidemic. And so I started the Fearless Foundation. And the goal really is two parts. I mean, the the big picture is like I want it to be the place. Like I want it to be 
um, an online, like you go in, you type in like sexual abuse or child, like your, my child's been abused. What do I do? Fearless Foundation pops up. You put in your zip code and boom, 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 boom. Here's where you can go find a victim mm. witness advocate. Here's how you go to the court system. Here's um, someone who will speak to your child and work with them on their PTSD pro bono. Here's all the therapists who specialize in this area. Um, here's an online community where you can talk to other parents or kids can you know, talk to other, like, I want it to be that. Yeah. But first, the first part was education, right? Like, I remember being in the seventh grade health class, and we talked about, you know, saying no to drugs and safe sex and stranger danger and bullying and cyberbullying. But there's no educational material on what you should do if someone close to you tries to take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. So the first part was to write the book. Um, which is called Fighting Back. You can get it on Amazon. It's There's a link on the website, which is fearlessfoundation.org. So I wrote the book with two um, psychiatrists from McLean Hospital, which is a renowned hospital in Boston. I actually spent time there. I was an inpatient in McLean mm. after I moved to Boston. And um, the book is not a memoir and it's not a textbook. It's sort of a combination of both. It uses my story, my journal entries, my... Like I kept journals the entire time, you know, uh, that I was being abused. And so it it shares my story and it shows parents, you know, social workers, caretakers, police officers, doctors, like whoever it is, like, oh, this is what grooming looks like. Mm. Um, th these are the ways you ask your kids about, you know, this relationship with this person. This is how you speak to your kids. This is what the court process is and why it's also traumatizing to kids. This is how you help your child heal. And it also does, you know, give hope because for me, there was light at the end of the tunnel. There was a shiny gold medal. There was um, right. healing. And so that was the first part. Um, that has been completed. And my my goal for that is to create a curriculum. You know, I want to have a curriculum for the seventh grade health class where every kid has to read the book. And I don't want it to be focused so much on sexual abuse. I actually have broadened since then to really want it to be more about mental health. Mm -hmm. So I think that it would be great if at the end of the book, every kid picks a thing, whatever it is. Maybe it's bullying. Maybe it's... Um, an absent father, maybe it's you've been sick, whatever it is that they're struggling with. And I want them um, to speak about it because this yeah. is what happens, right? We don't have these conversations. We do a lot more now in this day and age. But when I was a kid, like we didn't talk about, you know, like. Oh, not like, at all. Yeah. Everything, everything is fine. You know, like there could be, you could live in the most fucked up, abusive, alcoholic home but everything was fine. Mm -hmm. Like you just didn't talk about it. And so I want that to happen. So I'm working on a curriculum for the book. Um, and the second piece is what psychologists call mastery. So for me, mastery was judo. Like judo was the place where I could go and I just focused on that. And I was very present and I was in my body and I was feeling my body and I was focused. And this is an opportunity. This is where we heal as well. You know, mm -hmm. this is where we, um, being present is the goal. Like being able to not disassociate, not be outside of your body, not, um, you know, 
disassociate. And so we're just talking about my this. goal is for where you Yeah. I'm a I'm, my goal is for Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I, it's so big because that is what I learned growing up was to disassociate because we didn't talk about things either. We didn't deal with problems. We didn't mm -hmm. talk about problems. We swept them under the rug and we kept going. Mm -hmm. And that's something to this day, even in my marriage, mm -hmm. I've had to really work on because it's not something that's innate and natural to me to just talk about things. And so I love that aspect of it with getting yeah. kids comfortable, just opening their mouths and talking and not disassociating, but mm -hmm. sitting with those emotions, processing them mm -hmm. and speaking on yep. them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, that's how I survived, right? As I disassociated, I just didn't, I, I, what happened to me and who, like, I disassociated completely. And I, I still do sometimes I have mm -hmm. to be, it's like, it's like you said, it's a muscle. You have to work it. It's not natural to me to stay in my body and to stay present and to stay aware. Yeah. And, and it's also not natural to me to not react. You know, like I also developed this react, react muscle where it was like, oh, you're going to hurt me. Like, <sighs> no, you're fucking not. Like, yeah. so rewriting that story is super important. But I think for kids, especially um, victims of sexual abuse, like, it doesn't have to be judo, but my goal is, you know, to have a judo program where kids can come and do judo and just be kids and have fun and be present in their bodies. And maybe it's painting. Maybe when you paint, like that's where you're present and you're there and you're mm -hmm. just painting this picture. So I want to have a program where kids can go and maybe it's archery, maybe it's painting, maybe it's tennis, maybe it's judo, maybe it's fucking chess. I don't know, but I want there to be this system in place where kids can go and practice mastery and practice being present, practice mindfulness. Yeah, that is that. absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Seriously, I'm just blown away by you as a human, but I think it's so important. <laughs> yes, I think it's so important. I mean, a lot of it has been put on hold. To be fair, a lot of it has been put on hold because then I became a mom of two. And like, you know, that's basically running a small country. So <laughs> yeah, um, I want to talk but... about I'm going to stop you there because we are going to save all the mom stuff for the next part of our conversation. But I just want to commend you on the work that you've done within yourself, because that is freaking hard. Yes. It's hard. But y'all stay Thank tuned you. to hear the second part with Kayla, where we're going to dive into all things mom related, parent related, which is a whole nother ball game. Like she just said, it's like running a freaking country. Well, so stay tuned. <laughs> and we will put all of um, Kayla's foundation information. If mm -hmm. you would like to support her, get involved in any way, we'll yes. have that information in the show notes. And then also, um, Kayla, how can they connect with you on social media or um, if they want you to come and speak? How do yep. they, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah. So my website is KaylaHarrison.com. Um, all of my social handles, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook. I don't even know what socials I have anymore. I'm like, I don't, I can't even handle Like that's like, again, a whole other job in and of itself. I just do not have time for, but it's, um, Kayla Harrison official. So, or, and I think on X or Twitter or whatever the hell it is, it's at Kayla H. 
Um, but if you go to my website, they're all there, KaylaHarrison.com. It's got links to all of them. And yeah, if you, it's, the email is, I think, info at KaylaHarrison.com. It'll send it right to me. Awesome. And we'll make sure that all of those links are down in the show notes. Um, so y'all won't have to go and search. We'll just make sure that's all there for you. So stay tuned for the next episode where we continue our conversation with Kayla, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and until then, let's, let's discover, discover together. together. We hope you've enjoyed this journey of exploration and learning as much as we have. Before you go, we have a special request for you, our beloved discoverers. We'd be thrilled if you could show your support in a few easy steps. Step one, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button and subscribe to our channel. Don't forget to ring that notification bell so you never miss a moment of discovery. Step two, if you're listening via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review our show. Your feedback means the world to us and helps others discover our podcast too. Step three, whether you're on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast platform, please share the Discovery Doc podcast with your friends, family, and social networks. It's the best way to spread the joy of discovery. And finally, don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Discovery Doc. Stay connected with us for updates, behind the scenes content, and so much more. Plus, for exclusive content and additional resources, be sure to check out our website at www.thediscoverydoc.com. And while you're there, if you have a burning question or a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, simply let us know. Thank you, Discoverers, for being part of our incredible journey. Until next time, let's discover together. The content provided in this podcast provides general information and discussions on various topics related to health, wellness, and medical advancements. However, it is essential to understand that the content provided in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The hosts, guests, and contributors are individuals sharing their personal experiences, opinions, and knowledge in their respective fields. While they strive to provide accurate, up-to-date information, medical knowledge is constantly evolving and the information presented in this podcast may not always reflect the most current research and medical guidelines. It is crucial to consult with a qualified healthcare professional or medical expert for specific medical concerns. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking medical treatment based on the information presented in this podcast. The Discovery Doc podcast encourages listeners to use their own judgment and discretion while implementing any suggestions, recommendations, or lifestyle changes discussed in this episode. Each individual's medical situation is unique and may work for one, may not be suitable or safe for another. The podcast hosts, guests, and contributors are not liable for any direct, indirect, consequential, or incidental damages or harm that may arise from listening or acting upon the information provided in this podcast. Listeners are responsible for their own health decisions and should exercise caution and seek professional guidance when necessary. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that you have read, understood, and agreed to this medical disclaimer. If you have any questions or concerns about this medical disclaimer, please consult a qualified healthcare professional.